Okay. One, two, three. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. We are super happy to have you here today with us in this new episode of our founder series. As last year, we're doing this collaboration with the Clean Tech Open. It's going to be a bit uh, special format uh, in collaboration uh, with the Nordist chapter and Beth Sizonis, uh, senior program uh, director here. We have two Clean Tech Open national finalists and four Nordist regional winners. So already all of you guys, congrats. We can't wait to hear a little bit more about uh, your story, what you're doing. And uh, what I propose is like, we're going to start with you, uh, Beth, uh, for this uh, first part of the interview. So Beth, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, the Clean Tech Open program. Uh, how does it work? If you can uh, give us a 30 second uh, introduction. Of course, I'd be glad to. And thank you, Guillaume, for this opportunity. So Clean Tech Open is a national accelerator. It is the world's oldest and largest startup accelerator for clean tech startups. The Northeast region is what I run, and that spans now from Eastern Canada to Virginia. And the accelerator is run in the Northeast by NECEC, the Northeast Clean Energy Council. And just so you know, the Northeast region now spans from, uh, as I said, from Eastern Canada to Virginia. NECEC leads the just and equitable transition to a clean energy future and a diverse climate economy. But I just wanted to make a quick comment about what it is. So the accelerator is like a mini MBA with expert mentoring and lots of professional networking and, and connections. Happy to tell you more. Yeah, definitely. I, I love to, to dig a little bit more and to kind of understand uh, and for the audience here and all, especially for the, the founders listening to the to this episode. I mean, how is the, the, the program uh, in itself articulated along that uh, that period? I mean, and maybe tell us a little bit about like the, the thesis uh, behind it. Like, I mean, why uh, did you guys saw this uh, this need into the into the market and and the need of supporting those uh, those type of founders and articulating in, in into that uh, that format per se? Um, I mean, who should come and, and and pitch you, and for who does it fit? Of course. Okay. So that's a lot of questions all together. Exactly. So, <laughs> I can tell you that um, that we really have in, in the Northeast region, we think in terms of three broad things, three broad areas where we're making a positive impact. And our kind of why is about combating climate change, growing the green economy and driving environmental equity. In terms of who should participate, um, we are always looking for the next generation of emerging clean tech startups to join us. And so for people who are out there who are interested, our sweet spot is startups that don't yet have equity funding or revenue. You should have a solution that can benefit the environment. There should be two of you on, on a team that can participate and you should be serious about commercializing your technology and you should be ready to work hard. This is a rigorous program as I said, it's like a mini MBA with a lot of a lot of exercises, a lot of work that will really enable you to propel forward relatively quickly. That sounds very exciting. So, do you have any like uh, criteria, maybe in terms of uh, you know impact? Uh, do you uh, how do you measure impact for all of those uh, you know companies? I mean, what are the, the what is the, the the process and the the framework maybe? Do you rely on like a, a team of scientists or so it's too early stage, mm -hmm. but uh, you guys assess that in a different uh, manner. Uh, tell us a bit more about it. 
Of course, I'm I'm happy to talk about impact. That's one of my favorite topics. So I can tell you that we measure impact in terms of those three parameters that I mentioned earlier: um, environmental equity, um, envi the environment itself, and of course the green economy. So I can give you some uh, some numbers. So since 2005, Clean Tech Open has graduated. 601 uh, clean tech startups in uh, in the Northeast, and collectively 74% of them are still active or have been acquired. Collectively, they have raised over $1.47 billion. They're employing over 4,400 people, and their annual revenue is close to $700 million. 68% of the founders of startups in the 2023 cohort are women or members of underserved communities. Um, so in terms of what we teach that will enable our startups to get help us get to these numbers, um, in terms of environmental impact, we teach the entrepreneurs how to measure their emissions reduction potential. And in, uh, in 2021, the Clean Tech Open Northeast startups estimated their aggregate emissions emissions reduction potential at 101 million metric tons of CO2 equivalent per year, which is like taking 22 million cars off the road. Listen to this though. The 2023 cohort estimates that when they're at scale, they'll reduce or eliminate, uh, let's see, one over 1 billion 761 million metric tons of CO2 per year, which is equivalent to taking 392 million gas-powered cars off the road each year. So we enable them to help, help them to make those calculations on what is going to be their environmental footprint and uh, impact. We also enable them to uh, pre prepare for those com key conversations with investors. And in fact, all the materials that they create are really the starting point for not only building the business, but also being a starting point for a data room for investors. So they should be well on their way to connecting with investors and having productive conversations. So you mentioned that uh, I think it was 68% or 78% of the, the startups that uh, went through the program are still alive today. So any uh, any success stories that uh, you would like to uh, to share uh, quickly, a few examples of like uh, successful companies that uh, emerged from, uh, from your program? I love to talk about success stories. And our number is 74%, which is amazing, especially when you think about where they're starting with us, which is with um, two people. <laughs> um, so to think that, you know, they're able to grow and, and really make a difference. Um, several of our alumni from recent years have had big raises recently. Not sure if you have heard of um, Osmosis, recently raised $11 million. A Clarity just announced that they raised $60 million. $16 million and um, and Princeton New Energy just raised, I believe, sixty million dollars, and um, and we have some some uh, companies out there that are you know in market that are really making a difference. And you've probably heard of Spark Charge that has um, electric vehicle charging stations 
that um, that are really profligating around the country. And also another big one that you've probably heard of is Bevy, which makes um, water dispensers for um, uh, still water as well as um, flavored or unflavored seltzer. It was very exciting. Uh, a lot of like different uh, areas and uh, different uh, success stories. So, uh, congratulations! So, when is the when is the next batch starting? I mean, you know, how can the audience apply uh, to oh, join I you love guys? That. Love that question. So, in the early part of 2024, we will be holding kickoff events around the region and virtually to encourage folks to apply. Applications will be due in mid-April. And we will get started again in um, mid to late May with the 2024 cohort. So we're excited to see who emerges. And there is also something else which is exciting, which is that this year, Clean Tech Open Northeast won a prize from the Department of Energy for direct air capture. So we will be running a direct air capture academy in 2024 with some early stage startups in that category as well. Fantastic. Sounds uh, very promising. So next year we'll have uh, a different, uh, also do the DAC uh, uh, companies on the show, uh, hopefully. So that's uh, that's very exciting. So thank you so much, Beth, uh, for presenting and sharing all of those uh, super interesting details about uh, this amazing program that you are so happy to uh, to support. I believe you, you have to go, you mentioned, or you're going to stay during the, the rest of the um... episode? I might stay for a little bit just to hear some of the comments. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. So uh, now we're going to start with uh, Shiv and Active Surfaces. Thanks for Are having Shiv me. Ready? You're welcome. Um, well, welcome. Yes. Let me ask you a question. Can I delete something that I said? Uh, yes. We can, uh, okay. if you can uh, mention that to me, maybe via email later, like this for the editing, we'll I can do. paste that okay. in the, okay. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, Chief, it's your turn. I'm excited. Let's jump into it. Welcome to the show. So in 30 seconds, if you could, uh, can maybe give us like uh, uh, to the audience an introduction about uh, what you guys do with active surfaces. Yeah, of course. And thanks for having us. So I'm Shiv, one of the co-founders of Active Services, and we reimagine solar in the built environment. Uh, an interesting notion is that solar is the most distributed resource around the world, but access to it is often not. My family grew up in a rural village in India, and my grandma's house, which I spent a lot of time in, the roof is made of straw and clay. And that building, like a lot of the buildings around the world, weren't really designed to handle the weight of solar today. They're heavy, they're encased in thick glass, and they require structural support. So if we want to truly decarbonize our planet and accelerate solar, we need to get to the point where we can put it literally anywhere at an affordable cost. And this is why top researchers at MIT have spent a decade developing a flexible, lightweight alternative, something designed for the built environment. If you're on the video, you can see a plastic and a fabric form factor. This MIT-developed IP enables us to print solar cells 120 times lighter. You can wave it around, you can crumple it up, you get the same power for the same area. And we use domestically sourced materials and manufacture it here at home. We're targeting the built environment. We can prefab materials, but the initial form factor is kind of like a yoga mat, like a solar yoga mat. Uh, the founding team is myself. I'm an MSMBA from MIT with experience from Exxon and the DOE. And my co-founder, who's a PhD, uh, that was one of the researchers. Our advisors include Nobel 
Bell laureates, uh, multiple time deep tech founders, and wool to roll manufacturing experts. So definitely uh, super, super interesting. So my, my first question uh, for you, mm-hmm. uh, she would be like, I mean, what is your go-to-market strategy? And uh, when you start to acquire this market, uh, I want to understand like how you're going to manage the logistic chain and production uh, manufacturing uh, chain behind that. If you can uh, tell the audience a little bit more about it. Yeah, it's a great question. And as a business guy, that's what I spend most of my time thinking about. Uh, so the form factor is kind of relatively novel, right? Because we're used to these glass panels in a one by two meter uh, glass container. So we needed to target a market where you had an unfair advantage, where someone absolutely needs your product and where you can scale to the gigawatt scale to large manufacturing capacity as fast as possible. And there's a couple of places that make sense. But the, the one that stood out to us the most is low load commercial warehousing, specifically buildings in the U.S. where you can't handle the weight of solar without reinforcing the building. And you don't want to penetrate the roof. You don't want to pay the extra couple of dollars a watt to reinforce the building. So you can unroll a yoga mat on top and still get the energy production that you want. In terms of uh, production, uh, what's the what was the cost of uh, each of your panel compared to uh, the, the regular one? I understand that here there's a real need because uh, there's no, in a way, alternative uh, thanks to the lightweight uh, option that you offer, but uh, price-wise, and then how are you guys uh, planning to uh, to commercialize, and I would say not commercialize, but manufacture uh, those, uh, those panels? Yeah, so I guess in terms of right now where we are, we just spun out this year, which is why we were supported by Cleantech Open because we're early stage. We're TRL level four. Our early manufacturing though, so like let's say you want to be the first couple megawatts of our uh, of our product, you'll get the same, uh, like a similar LCOE compared to silicon today, which is quite nice for an early stage product. Generally, you have to pay a significant premium. Uh, but in the long run, and this is not just us, in general, the field is, is expecting perovskites to be way cheaper than silicon today, If you, especially if you include the form factor savings of labor and structural costs. Like, uh, I, I don't know if I specifically mentioned it, but most of the cost when you install solar today is beyond the module. So if we can save that by doing something that's easier to install, and easier to integrate, then you can save both on the per module basis as well as the overall install. So anyways, in the long term, it'll be significantly cheaper. In the short term, we're expecting parity. And uh, I think I'm going to repeat myself, but uh, where do you uh, plan to produce and manufacture uh, all of those Ah, solar panels? And how difficult is that uh, at scale, I would say? Yeah, no, no, sorry, I didn't answer your question. Uh, in terms of the manufacturing, we're planning on, so we do roll to roll and there's a big strength of doing that here in the Northeast specifically because Polaroid, Kodak, there's a lot of, lot of uh, large companies that have this experience. Uh, and not just these companies, our advisors or people that scaled up processes for this for decades. My co-founder's PhD was in this. So we're planning on doing our pilot facility here in the 50 megawatt a year scale. And then after that, we're going to go wherever the incentives and the manufacturing makes the most sense. So tell me a bit more about uh, the initial challenges like, uh, you know, uh, that you guys were facing before joining uh, Cleantech Open and in a way, what uh, was the, the what did the program in a way uh, brought you and helped you to uh, to figure it out or to understand, uh, to move to the next step with your, uh, with your company? There was, a, as an early stage startup, there's a lot of challenges and I'm sure all the other folks on the call can agree because you have to answer a hundred different questions and you don't even have a a fully like, established business yet. So how you have to figure all that out as you're going through it. So some of the specific things that was really helpful for us was uh, emissions modeling in general, like, like, like what is our uh, emissions reduction potential? 
and we developed a market-based model that was very uh, that was supported by a lot of our advisors and mentors that uh, really helped us talk to VCs and say, listen, this is our our, our go-to-market strategy. Here's how much we plan to capture. Here's what that corresponds to in terms of uh, reduction potential, and this is why this is such a huge opportunity. And being able to articulate that and kind of show the data uh, behind the like in the background is very meaningful. We also uh, and this is I guess more standard early stage startup stuff, but we're hiring a ton and we're building out our network. And I think that requires a lot of support in terms of like even dumb questions like where, where how are you doing your benefits or how are you structuring your 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 letters? Like there's a lot of like generic operations things that are just really nice to lean on or lean on a community for, which was helpful for us. So overall positive experience with uh, CleanTech Open? Highly recommend, yeah. Fantastic. I'm sure Ben's going to be super happy to hear that again. So what's next for <laughs> you guys? Next is we're wrapping up our funding round, hopefully in the next mm -hmm. few months here. And then we're hiring people like, like Fire right now, all PhDs that are in device engineering or uh, spectroscopy. We're building a lab space here in, uh, in the, uh, the greater Boston area. And we're starting to nail down our tech milestones. So those are, it's all tech development, hiring and lab space focused. Any specific uh, asks for the, the community of uh, founders, investors, or experts listening to the show that uh, could uh, that you could benefit from? Yeah, the thing I've been thinking about a lot is built like to to help reach net zero. A lot of people, and not just us, like not just every startup here, but also in the greater climate tech community, is going to have to build like real things. Whether it's on the energy generation side or transmission or carbon capture, there's a lot of different technologies that need to exist that don't exist right now. And that requires physical assets. And building anything is hard. So we think that we would love support on the like smart people that want to help us develop our, our biz dev strategy or help us develop actually the physical technology. If there's people that want to help us pilot and partner uh and help us work towards early demonstrations, that'd be amazing. Or if there's investors that want to get that want to get connected early for our next round. All of that is uh, of interest. Fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, for your time and uh, incredible uh, effort that you guys are doing to uh, uh, build an uh, amazing new solution for a better world. So uh, thank you so much for uh, coming, Shiv, and congrats. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. All right, guys. Now let's move on with uh, Ryan. Hi, everyone. Pleasure to be Hi, here. Ryan. Thanks for having me. So you're with uh, Cleon May, uh, if I'm pronouncing right with my uh, French accent, even though I'm from yeah. Belgium. <laughs> you did, you did. <laughs> All right. So maybe you can give us a, a 30 second uh, introduction uh, about Cleon May and uh, what uh, what is the problem that you guys are solving and for who? Oh, absolutely. Thank you. So um, my name is Ryan Letts, the founder of Cleon May and inventor of the patented Zephyr Maglev alternator. I'm a US military veteran who specialized in delivering energy to our troops off grid. So the Zephyr removes friction and associated energy losses that are typical of uh, standard alternators used in wind turbines. This technology can increase the energy production of wind turbines by up to 10%. If it were available before building the fleet of wind turbines in the US, we'd have enough energy to produce an extra 3.8 billion kilowatt hours of energy uh, today. That is enough to power over 357,000 homes and eliminate 2.7 million tons of greenhouse gases annually. So 
uh, wind turbine uh, rotation is converted to electricity by the alternator. The problem is that the bearings, gearings, brushes, and shaft of wind turbines grind and cause friction and heat, which shortens the equipment's useful life and saps energy that could be converted to electricity. Even with costly maintenance, such as checking the gears and changing lubricant, uh, some alternators wear or burn out prematurely, requiring expensive repair or replacement. These factors increase the levelized cost of energy. So uh, we use magnetic levitation to remove the bearing scares and brushes and shaft, which cause the grinding and wears down the equipment. We also over-engineered the Zephyr and designed a built-in heat sink that extracts uh, energy that electricity has flowing through the system. We also improved the composition of the electricity generating magnets, and we expect these improvements to increase the output, lower OPEX and maintenance, and extend their useful life, potentially lowering the levelized cost of energy. Okay, so tell us maybe uh, to the audience a little bit more about like how did you uh, how did you start? Uh, I mean, how did you uh, came you know by saying okay I'm, now I want to I want to move into that uh, that and solve that problems? Uh, can you tell us a bit about the genesis of, uh, of of your company in itself and why and how did you start to? Uh, to to scratch your head around that and, and find solution for it. Yeah, that's a great question. So it started when I was in the military, um, having experienced this problem firsthand. Um, I, after I left, I worked in uh, architecture and came up with a solution that took me many years to actually come up with a design. I started working with my co-founder, Aaron Goykadash, who is a former Dean of Electrical Engineering at New York City College of Technology. And we came up with some prototypes that we were able to test and apply for patents for this technology. Uh, initially, we weren't even thinking about uh, wind turbines or anything like that. Uh, we were just thinking, hey, we're engineers, you know, we're let's solve an engineering problem. <laughs> uh, where we got introduced to clean tech, they opened us up to actually really exploring the market, seeing where there's a fit for our technology. And that really helped put us on the right track. So all of that, you know, from Genesis to where we are today, a lot of it is uh, in doing part to the folks at Cleantech and the mentor team. Okay. So tell me a bit more about like, I mean, are you guys like uh, replacing those parts uh, within the, the, the wind turbine uh, when the wind turbine is in operation or uh, how, do, how does it work? Is only for the new ones? I believe it's not for the only the, the, the new ones or maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, you're, no, you're right. Um, so to be clear, we're focusing on one component within the, the turbine, yeah. which is the workhorse, the alternator that does the conversion of the electricity. The, obviously, there are multiple issues with wind turbines. The most obvious is with the blades. Uh, but internally, uh, the parts, they have a lot of uh, motion and th those movements, they grind and cause friction, right? So mm -hmm. we're replacing that uh, key problem within uh, the alternators themselves, right? So um, for us, we see this approach as something that um, is going to be sustainable because we're taking a different approach than what's currently out there. Uh, and from what we've seen, 
right? Um, a lot of the solutions are based for um, wind farms, which are land-based and offshore. And right now with supply chain and all of that, there's a lot of issues that are happening that are causing these um, not only uh, functional issues, but supply chain issues to actually keep these repairs. So our mm -hmm. approach is two pronged. We're actually focusing on uh, the uh, repair side where we're doing um, replacement of existing fleets, but also with the uh, OEMs where we're actually um, designing our technologies to be incorporated into new fleets of turbines that are being deployed. Okay, fantastic. And uh, how is your uh, initial, like, uh, I would say, like, uh, contact and discussion with uh, uh, all of those, uh, um, you know, wind turbine uh, field manager and uh, and constructor? I mean, what is the initial feedback that you uh, that you receive? Yeah. So when we reached out to wind turbine manufacturers, they saw the the potential of this solution, and they really gravitate towards it um, to the point where we actually have LOIs with manufacturers, right? Um, where we are at a TRL three, so they want us to fully develop a field model so that they can do pilot tests for us or with us. Okay. Congratulations, very exciting. So uh, what was, uh, maybe you can tell us and share with you a little bit about like uh, uh, pre, uh, you know, joining the, the CleanTech Open um, program in itself, what was your initial challenge and what do you, uh, uh, during that program, what did you guys like, uh, you know, learned or understood or allowed you to, uh, maybe if you have one or two uh, piece of, uh, you know, experience that you can, uh, that you can quickly share with the audience uh, during that, uh, that program? Yeah, so initially when I went into this program, I didn't know what to expect. But on first impact contact, when we went, met up in Boston and saw all these brilliant folks working on all these different types of technologies, it was it came pretty clear that we were in the right space, right? And the team that we have, they're high quality, top notch folks, and uh, they really um, honed us in because we were all over the place at the very beginning, right? You know, as entrepreneurs, we are very excited about our technology. We just want to go out there and show the world, but they were able to rein us in, uh, give us the structure that we needed to actually uh, focus on these questions and, and answer them in a constructive way and apply them uh, right away. So, uh, that was our main um, impression of the folks at Clean Tech, and like I said, the other companies—they're wonderful and they've been super supportive as well. So, what's next for uh, Cleon Mine, and how the community of uh, founders, investors, or experts can uh, help you? Yeah. So, uh, what's next for us is to actually do our initial raise. Uh, a lot of this has been self-funded, so for any investors out there, you can please reach out to us. Us. We're also looking for lab space. We are at a TRL three. So any folks that uh, see the potential of this technology, such as uh, developers, OEMs, uh, we're happy to work with you uh, to take this to the next level. All right. Thank you so much uh, for uh, everything that you guys are, are doing. Sounds very exciting. And uh, thanks for coming for the on the show, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You're welcome and congrats on uh, being part of the, the, the finalists as well. So let's move on now with uh, Ed and uh, Amply Energy. Great. Glad to be here. Um, so we're Amply Energy. 
we help HVAC contractors sell more heat pumps. Switching to heat pumps is a radically more challenging job for HVAC contractors. Most jobs they've seen for decades are either service calls or tune-ups, a box swap. They basically go in, they take out the old furnace, they put in a new furnace that looked identical, but just 20 years newer. Moving someone off fossil fuels onto electric heat, much, much more complicated problem. And so we built software that makes that design process, paperwork, rebate management, much, much easier. Okay, so uh, tell us a bit more about it. Like, how does it work? And maybe, like, uh, how did you uh, come up with that uh, that problem that uh, that you saw in the market and you wanted to uh, to start to uh, to fix it? Yeah, it was the intersection of a problem and breakthrough in technology. So two, three years ago, Apple started putting um, pretty good high power lidar on the back of all of their on the, all their pro products. So whether it's an iPad or, or an iPhone. That has led to an incredible ability to just on off-the-shelf software scan rooms and homes at an incredible level of detail, um, which lets you get accurate measurements, all sorts of helpful information. Um, so that's been a breakthrough on the tech side. Uh, on the problem side, any good HVAC system design starts with an accurate heating and cooling load calculation. And that is based on the footprint of the home, as well as the material that's in the walls, how it's built, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we're building software to bring the breakthrough and hardware together with this acute customer problem, such that we can make the experience of doing the load calculation, designing the system, communicating that system design to the homeowner, to the install team, to the um, government and utilities that are running the rebate programs. We make all of that much, much easier. Um, and that's how, we, that's how we got to this. We were actually in the space Um, acting as general contractors for home electrification projects. We were working with homeowners to do solar, EV uh, chargers, batteries, heat pumps, heat pump, hot water heaters. And we saw this acute problem ourselves. So we started building simple software that made it easier for us. And we quickly realized that was the real opportunity. Fantastic. And tell us a bit more about like on the user uh, experience side of it, like uh, how does it work? I mean, you guys work directly with the manufacturer uh, or the installer, or is it like the uh, the, the homeowner uh, who needs to you know download uh, an app or join your website? I mean, tell us a bit more like the whole uh, process and your uh, your secret sauce there. Um, well, I won't tell you the secret sauce because that would be a bad idea. But the uh, the experience is so the customer for us is the installer. Um, in particular, the comfort advisor at the HVAC company, that's typically what the salesperson is called. They're in the home, they have an iPad in their hand. As they, as they park their truck, they open up our app, they enter the customer's address. And from that, we pull in real estate data. That's a great starting point. Square footage of the home, what's the existing HVAC system that's in there. Some of the stuff that you'd see on Redfin or Zillow about a home, uh, but just the stuff that's like very relevant to the HVAC installer. Um, they walk in the home and then they basically have a great consultation with the homeowner like they typically do. But instead of pulling out a laser tape measure and writing down hand notes um, and taking a bunch of random photos with their, um, with their mobile phone, they're run through a very streamlined workflow that's in our software that involves occasionally stopping and say, hey, homeowner, instead of um, to take measurements, I'm going to scan the room. 
They stand in the center, they spin around in about 10 seconds, they have all of the measurements and they have the load calculation and the homeowners love it. Um, whereas they never really knew what was being written down on the piece of paper or whether it was accurate. Now they have like a live 3D model with all the dimensions there. They can see their home rendered with this um, digital twin. It just brings the design experience from something that felt like a black box before to the homeowner to now something that feels like a, like a um, delightful collaborative conversation between the comfort advisor and the homeowner. So tell us a bit more about maybe uh, quickly in terms of, um, you know, your, your pricing model and uh, your go-to-market uh, strategy. Um, so the go-to-market strategy is basically twofold, um, direct sales and channel partner sales. So direct sales, we have, a, we have a sales team that I lead. I spend the half of every day just on the phone selling to HVAC installers. Um, and then we have channel partners um, uh, and are trying to build more channel partners. So these are folks who are, these are organizations that are incredibly powerful in the space. Um, so some of them are trade organizations like ACA, the Air Conditioning Contractors of America, uh, distributors. Distributors act basically as local monopolies. You know, there's one Mitsubishi distributor, there's one Samsung distributor, there's one carrier distributor for a specific geographic area. Uh, they have strong relationships with installers and not just provide um, hardware. They also provide great technical advice. Um, so partnering with them is critical. Uh, we're working to partner with the field service platforms. Those are Service Titan, Service Fusion. They're basically ERP systems for contractors. But like the, the collaboration between us and them could be quite beautiful. Um, utilities, state efficiency programs. Um, these are folks, uh, these are organizations that are trying to get folks off fossil fuels onto electric. Um, and so there's there's great distribution partnership there. And then the manufacturers uh, themselves, the folks who make heat pumps, Mitsubishi, Samsung, Daikin, Fujitsu, would love to partner with them because they know who their best installers are. They want to sell more heat pumps. We want to sell more heat pumps. Um, and this is an acute pain that the software solves that they, that they know about. In terms of uh, business model? Uh, we price per address. So we're trying to have a usage-based model that aligns our incentives with the installers. Every home they go in is an opportunity to drive revenue for their business. And so if they use our product in the home, we'll charge them for it. And if they don't, they don't get charged. Um, and that lets us see, like, are we adding value on a day-to-day -day basis? Okay. So tell us a bit more about, like... Uh... This uh, before and after FinTech Open, what was the, the experience and what did you learn during that, uh, that journey? Yeah, I mean, we face the same challenges every startup faces. It seems like there's an infinite number of things to get done and it seems like they're all existentially important. Um, CleanTech Open had a great structured approach to, to bucketing the most important things and sequencing them. Um, and in each topic area, there was really great advice. So the place CleanTech Open started was a focus on customer discovery. And I thought we were really good at customer discovery. I'd spoken to 25, 30 potential customers. I felt like I had a good grip on the market. And um, there was a presenter at the CleanTech Open Academy who hammered the importance of 100 customer conversations. And he really compelled me to believe that 100 was the number. And I made that my North Star. And so I went out and I hit it over the course of eight weeks. And he was totally right. The breadth 
and depth of understanding of the market was not four times better. It was an order of magnitude better after doing that. And so that gave us even more confidence in our product roadmap. Frankly, we totally redid our product roadmap based on those insights. And now we're quite, quite confident in it. Um, and so that sort of advice was uh, massively impactful for us. Fantastic. So what's next uh, for you guys and how the, the community of uh, investors, founders and experts uh, listening to the show today can uh, help you? Um, so we have just closed a very successful seed round. Um, so we have plenty of runway um, and we're hiring team members and, and that's awesome. So what we're focused on is two things, product velocity and commercial traction. Uh, and we basically split the team down the middle. It's like we have engineers who are focused on product velocity. And we have a go-to-market team that's focused on commercial traction. Um, so execution is our priority. So for that, I, you know, I have two asks. We're hiring software engineers. So if any folks can point us towards great backend web or mobile developers, we would love that. We're open to all three. Um, and then on the commercial traction side, introductions to HVAC companies that are primarily heat pump installers. Uh, introductions to distributors, to the OEMs, to utilities, to state efficiency agencies. I would welcome any of those. So if folks are willing to do that, those introductions would be gold. Fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Ed. It was a pleasure to hear uh, what you guys are doing. It sounds very exciting. Uh, so uh, good luck for the rest. And, uh, and thanks for coming today. Pleasure. All right. So let's go with... Uh, Ling Shen, if I'm pronouncing yeah. it right, excuse yeah, me. Uh, if not, uh, Alex Ko. Yeah. Uh, hi, uh, I'm Ling Shen Ko. I'm the co-founder of Relaxico, and uh, I'm very happy to be here today. And uh, uh, we are a tech technology startup uh, working on lithium extraction uh, from brine sources. Uh, so currently. Uh, lithium battery become ideal power supply for uh, electric vehicles. So we need more and more uh, lithium for lithium battery manufacture. But the current lithium uh, deposit is distribution is very uneven around the world. So uh, we mainly mine lithium from South America and Australia. So uh, we develop a technology that we can uh, mine lithium from uh, other water sources, uh, which have lower lithium concentration. Uh, and in the U.S., we are targeting geothermal brine. Uh, so uh, we have a technology that we can use a chemical-free uh, electrochemical method to mine lithium from brine. And uh, it's uh, a totally different uh, mining method from traditional mining activities. So it's an environmentally friendly method and uh, uh, has can produce very high-purity lithium for better manufacturing. Yeah. Okay, so that sounds very exciting. So tell us a bit more about like how did you uh, started to work on that uh, on that project and uh, and uh, tell us a little bit more about like uh, a little bit more on this uh, process and how the technology uh, works. Yep. So uh, actually, both my co-founder and I we are uh, scientific research researchers. So this is a part of my PhD project. So. Uh, we want to commercialize it uh, in the company. And we participate in the uh, American Made Challenge uh, competition held by the Department of Energy. So uh, DOE started the geothermal lithium extraction price uh, in 2021. 
And uh, after two years competition, uh, we just won the uh, three fifths of the competition and uh, recognized as a top three winner in the U.S. So uh, uh, we already finished the, the lab school prototype demonstration. So in the company side, we will start uh, commercial scale prototype building uh, from 2024. And uh, for the uh, technology itself, uh, it's already patent, so still is pending. Uh, uh, so we develop a, a electrochemical method similar to desalination, removing salt from water. But this time we just remove a separate lithium from water and leave other elements inside the water. So uh, inspired by the desalination concept, we developed the uh, material and the process for lithium extraction. Yeah. Okay, so basically you use uh, electricity uh, to separate uh, lithium from uh, the water. Any yeah. specific source of like or concentration that uh, that you need uh, of lithium into the water to be uh, to be efficient and uh, you know with a regular like uh, I would say like uh, a water tank. Like how much are you able to extract from it? Yeah, so it's a really good question. So. Uh, based on our uh, lab, lab skill data, and uh, uh, we did the technical economic analysis to see what's the concentration of lithium is uh, economic to, to mine. So definitely uh, seawater has the too low concentration uh, for economic uh, mining. And uh, uh, so from our analysis, the lithium concentration has to go to over uh, hundreds of ppm, which hundreds of milligram per liter concentration to be uh, energy sufficient and uh, economic. And uh, uh, there's a lot of different uh, brine sources that can reach this concentration. And uh, uh, for your next question, how much lithium we can mine? Uh, it really depends on how much lithium deposit for uh, every site. And in the US, uh, uh, we have a, a lithium rich geothermal brine in South California called Salton Sea uh, from the USGS. Uh, there's really a lot of lithium there. So over the mineable lithium, totally over 32 million tons of lithium. Uh, so it's definitely uh, will be a very huge supply uh, for lithium lithium, lithium manufacturing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's only one side. I mean, like if you look at the, the states in general, like how do you, uh, do you have any idea of like how much uh, uh, I mean, how many areas and how much you could potentially uh, fitting into the 100 uh, milligram per uh, ppm, you said, uh, that could fit uh, your thesis. So just to understand a little bit for uh, the, the, the size of that uh, potential market in the U.S. side. Yep. So the, the market is huge, actually. So uh, we are, how to say, so... Uh, only about 0.1 million tons of lithium can power over 50 million electric vehicles. So uh, based on the current lithium price, so uh, about 0.1 million tons lithium can make over $3 billion revenue per year. So uh, we are replacing more and more electric vehicles in the coming years. So uh, the market is still huge. And for, as you mentioned, how many sites we have, uh, Definitely, we'll target uh, lithium-rich, uh, uh, lithium-rich brine at, at the beginning. So there's a lot of lithium-rich uh, brine all over the world. Uh, is there's what there's several in the U uh, Europe, uh, Germany, UK, and uh, 
uh, also uh, several in uh, Canada and the U.S. And uh, also some brand sources, uh, even surface water from China and uh, South America, uh, they also can be applied uh, with our technology. Mm -hmm. Okay, very interesting. And uh, how invasive it is uh, in terms of like the infrastructure that you understand, I mean, that you, you foresee at scale uh, for the local environment in itself. I mean, uh, I guess like those do, do sources are probably in a natural uh, preserved uh, areas. So uh, we also understand that uh, it's different than mining because you don't move all the, the dirt from the ground and, uh, and the rocks and start to apply uh, chemicals around. But you still need to have a, a space, uh, how large it is, and how how do you guys make uh, the the water circulating back uh, into the the environment? I mean, do you guys have a, any uh, already like insights on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, we will not be the brand brand owner. So uh, we will partner with the brand owner. Uh, so in the U.S. Uh, we target on geothermal brand, so we will partner with the geothermal power and power companies. So they will uh, extract the brine from underground first, and a power and a use the heat to power uh, to power uh, to for the electricity generation first. And uh, uh, they will take care of the uh, the brine extraction and the brine injection back to the ground. And uh, uh, we will do lithium extraction after power generation after the brine is cooled down. Uh, it's always all already the waste for power generation. And uh, for uh, other brand sources, uh, we have to partner with the, the, uh, the brand owners. So uh, as the technology provider, uh, because current mining uh, mining companies are also looking for uh, technology uh, replacement to have to use more environmentally friendly technology or normal technology uh, to get lithium mine. Okay, fantastic! Very exciting. Um, what's uh, what's next for you guys? I mean, uh, now that uh, the lab uh, lab phase is uh, almost complete, uh, your IP is uh, about to uh, to be uh, to be granted. So, what's um, what's next for you in terms of like uh, pilot? And what's the scale of the pilot that you guys are seeing? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, uh, in twenty twenty four, our company R and D center will officially launch. So. Uh, here, so we are we are also recruiting right now. So we are looking for a chemical engineer uh, who has experience on uh, electrofabrication and also process engineer uh, who has experience on uh, electrochemical water treatment. So uh, we will start uh, commercial scale prototype building in 2024. And uh, we have connections with uh, a water treatment facility manufacturer to build our uh, the first large prototype, and uh, uh, we plan to have the first uh, uh, large prototype has the capacity of about ten ton of lithium capacity per year, uh, and uh, it's easy to be duplicated uh, for a real plant, and, and uh, we will start build a real uh, part of the plant, uh, a real uh, plant uh, as somewhere in US. Probably in late 2025. Yeah. Okay. La last question, maybe on the more the, the the financial aspect of it. I mean, how do you guys plan to uh, finance your uh, your capex? Uh, because uh, you know, in the climate tech uh, companies, uh, when hardware is involved, it's always like 
a little bit like uh, uh, the scarcity and the, the the challenge for uh, for founders to go to the next step. And what is maybe your your business model? Are you guys? Uh, uh, if you can maybe tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, no problem. So currently we are funded by uh, federal grants, and uh, uh, we'll use the grant for the first prototype building. And uh, uh, we already contacted several uh, investors, so we will look. We will start uh, to raise fund in about mid or late twenty twenty four, and uh, uh, for the seed round, probably the large seed, because uh, as you mentioned, so we are a kind of infrastructure uh, side, so uh, we need a a little bit more uh, capital cost. Uh, but what we design is a modular device, so similar to desalination system. Uh, it's easy to be expanded or uh, built based on different uh, water capacity. So it can decrease a lot uh, capital cost to build a real huge plant. Uh, and uh, for the first plant, based on our previous experience on water treatment plant, it will cost about five to eight million dollars to build a first plant. Yeah. So we will start uh, using uh, VC funds to uh, to build the first uh, pilot plant. Okay, fantastic. So what's, uh, how can, I mean, uh, the community of founders, investors, and experts listening to the, the show uh, can help you? Yeah, so uh, we are very open for any uh, investors who are interested in uh, lithium industry, because I know more and more, uh, investment organization or investors uh, working in battery industry uh, is also looking for uh, lithium supply chain. Uh, so uh, if there's any uh, funding sources or uh, investors are interested, in, I'm very happy to be connected and uh, uh, talk about uh, future opportunities. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Ling uh, Chen, for uh, all the uh, amazing uh, work that you guys are doing to uh, to clean up the lithium uh, lithium world. So thank you so much, and uh, definitely uh, uh, again, like uh, everybody here, happy to uh, follow uh, your next adventure. All right, guys, let's move on with uh, uh, John and uh, Zinco Verde. Uh, hi, how you doing? Thank you so much for for having me on here. Um, yeah. So should I tell you a little bit about us? Um, so zinc Verde, we make metal oxides, focusing on zinc oxide. Um, and it's zinc oxide is this amazing material. It it's it's an important part of rubber, electronics, textiles, skincare, and sunscreen in, in so many applications. Um, uh, and this is one why we're focusing on it. Uh, um, but the thing about it is it's the right tool for so many jobs, but it always comes with a compromise. And our process helps eliminate some of those compromises by making bespoke formulations of the zinc oxide uh, to be able to fill those, those roles better. But on top of that, we use 99% less energy to get there. Um, and we're, we're focusing on stuff like skincare and sunscreen, being able to make formulations that are, are good for the environment, um, ocean safe, and feel much better on the skin, which is the biggest barrier for a lot of our customers, consumers from using um, mineral-based sunscreens. Okay, so can you tell us a bit more about like uh, what was the genesis uh, behind uh, behind uh, Zinco Verde, uh, if I pronounce it right? Uh, tell us a bit yeah, more like perfect. why did you decide to uh, jump into uh, into that, and uh, in a way, what's the relevant experience and uh, motivation that you you have behind uh, starting the company? So it's a it's a bittersweet story. Um, my co-founder Jacopo, 
um, his uh, PhD advisor, um, who has since passed, um, was this brilliant man. And nothing but wanted to have a good impact on the environment, wanted to invent something new. And during conversation, he said, try zinc oxide. It's everywhere. We, we didn't know. He didn't know. It was one of those things where um, it, it, it's kind of a sleeper material. And so Yakupo went in the lab and, and he's brilliant. He's like an artist who chose chemistry as his medium. And he came up with this way to make zinc oxide in, in, in his revolutionary way. Like he's a lot of knowledge of chemistry and, and it just worked and kept going. And then he, he said to me, he's like, Hey, John, I got a, I did this thing. It's really cool. I, I think it'll be really useful. And I said, well, you got to build some value into this, this technology. And so we reworked it from ground up and, and, um, you know, uh, scaled it to something that's, uh, or re redid it, uh, reinventing material from the electrons up so that it is scalable. And now we have a product that just works better. Um, it's good for the environment and it's also cost competitive. So now we're, we're ready to roll on it. Okay. Speaking a bit about more, maybe like, uh, cost, uh, competitiveness in itself. I mean, uh, where are you guys in terms of, uh, of production? What is the current unit cost that you have and what is, uh, the projection at scale? Yeah. So, um, if I've understood everything correctly, so we have a provisional patent applied and we've engaged with a, a law firm to be able to submit our full patent shortly. Um, and it's, it's looking really good in that direction. Um, we are, uh, this is kind of where we're at right now is we've worked for the material. We've, we've done some trials and simulations of each one of our customers. And I mentioned so many different applications for it. And this is one of the places that we're, you know, later we're going to ask about what about the community. And this is what we're really doing is we're, we're co-developing this with some of our new customers. And I, when I was, um, just recently, I spent a couple of days with a customer working with our materials, seeing how, how they are really interested in using and, and how the benefits of our material can make new products that they couldn't make before, but also things that they really want and what their consumers really need. So really what we're doing is we're co-developing these materials. And then I, I go to the phone with Yacopo and say, hey, can we try this? Can we try that? So this is where we're at right now. We're we're at a TRL five or six. We're basically, we're, we're ready to deploy, but the benefit of our material, especially compared to the old process, um, is we're able to, uh, make a custom formulation for each one of our customers, and it scales very easily, smaller and larger uh, with with that. So we're we're working hand in hand with some of our um, early potential customers and um, making something that is is truly better for them. You can tell us a bit more about the, the size of the of the market that uh, you guys uh, are seeing here and starting to uh, to get into, and maybe your go to market strategy as well. Yeah. So. Um, you know, market reports, they, they vary. Zinc oxide uh, market uh, is looking to be between eight and $11 billion market for zinc oxide alone, but, but we're a metal oxide company. So our the zinc oxide process works with other metal oxides. Um, and as we expand, we're looking at a 20, $30 billion um, markets of these metal oxides that are all being made using uh, various uh, processes that usually use a lot more energy. So we have a, a large impact starting with our beachhead market, which is you know, relatively tight around um, one or $2 billion of, of uh, the skincare industry and the pharmaceutical industry expanding up to a eight or $11 billion of this just zinc oxide market and, and moving on past that. So our company has a, a long legs to grow into, um, but our, our process is, uh, it's, it's really great. I'm really a fan of our chemistry. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a chemist, my, my partner is a chemist um, and the other partner is a, a material scientist. So we're all just, 
it, it just so impressed with with how our chemistry works and how how much fun it is to just deploy it into new materials and how how we can change it and adapt it. Uh, that's the current market, but the fact that we can empower our customers to make products they couldn't even make before, um, I think we can even even you know push the envelope on what those markets are going forward. Um, so speaking yeah. quickly about um, manufacturing in itself, I mean, what's your what what is uh, your plan? Are you guys looking to build a plant, or are you guys will be uh, licensing with uh, the different partners? Uh, tell us a bit more about uh, about that. Yes. I guess the answer is yes, right? Because right now, um, these sales we have are in tens of tons, right? 10, 15, 50 tons. Um, and so uh, early, but early prototypes are maybe 100 kilograms, 200 kilograms. So we're looking to build this like prototype lab, this pilot lab, which which is, is pretty significant par- compared to our, our, our laboratory, but it's building this small production facility to get our customers to be um, confident with our material. And then once we... Once we have uh, a certain amount of confidence or, or or orders from our customers, then we can go and we can we can use some of this contract manufacturing. And um, as opposed to the current methodology that the zinc oxide is made right now, where you have these like really uh, unique kilns where they're they're, they're they're boiling zinc metal, um, our stuff is is a, is made with with more standard equipment that can be easily scaled up or off the shelf stuff that some of these manufacturers can do. So um, once we have uh, larger relationships, we're able to be able to deploy contract manufacturing uh, more efficiently. Um, but as for now, since we're, we're pretty early and we're, we're looking for our first paying customer, we have a lot of interest, um, uh, we're going to be making it in, in-house. Uh, Fantastic. Very exciting. So uh, yeah. tell us a bit more like the, the before and after uh, CleanTech Open, how did the program uh, uh, work for you? What was the experience? Oh, uh, what did you learn during that abs- program? <laughs> Oh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. And, and, and thank you so much um, to CleanTech Open. I, I was going to say this year, you know, um, Olivia and Beth, they, I was a little hesitant about starting and they made me confident in, in running the program. And uh, it was it was transformative. I thought we had everything under control, but we really were a little floundering. You know, I started this out by giving you a whole bunch of industries that we were looking at um, entering. And they give us, a, you know, the CleanTech Open gave us a good... Uh, way to look at our company and the confidence to be able to go forward and say, yeah, we're going to start with the skincare industry. It may not be the biggest market, but this is something that we can really approach. It gave us this confidence. And that's really important when you're trying to make people confident about your material. Um, but the thing that I think they that uh, sticks with me the most is the fact that I am now able to tell our story much better, right? We have this really cool material and we're focused on the, the applications. There's all these different things and you know I'm, I'm a chemist right so i love talking about the chemistry but i think um the the, the cto process and, and my mentors we able we were able to craft a story that not only in in got people excited about our, our material our chemistry but also really incorporated the story of um of, of how it is a clean technology right seamlessly instead of being uh, weird and disjointed I'm, i feel like i'm much more able to <clears throat> have a conversation that that leaves people understanding who we are and what we do and what we care about. Fantastic. So what's next for, for you guys and uh, how can the community of uh, founders, investors and uh, experts listening to the show uh, can help you? Yeah, I mean, we're ready to grow. We we need to grow in every area, right? We, we're looking to expand. Um, we, need, we need potential customers, partners that help us co-develop, right? We don't know how to make all of these things that our, our, our customers do. So in all the areas in, in rubber, in um, uh, skincare, in textiles, um, electronics, 
all of these areas, if someone's interested in using a cool technology, we really want to be able to partner with them, see about uh, how our zinc oxide or metal oxide um, bespoke formulations can really make them uh, have better products. So that's really important to be able to get these potential customers and turn them into customers, right? Um, but on top of that, uh, continuing with the, the revenue stream, we're really looking to, to, to expand our effort. We need to expand our team, find people that do know these industries better than I do, uh, better than our team does, people that are really familiar with it and can, can lead us, can, can bring us in and expand our team to this more professional uh, way of, of getting out to these customers. Um, and, and yeah, any, uh, any uh, grant funding or, or VC money, we're looking to, to really get investment and to make this thing grow We're we're at an inflection point where we can uh, now making the next step is going to require more capital and, and more uh, energy and more minds. But I think we've, we've done a really good job of using the, the, the limited resources we've had so far. Congratulations, John. Super exciting. Thank you so much for uh, coming on the show and uh, doing uh, all the, the hard work that you do for a better and, a, and cleaner world. Thank you. And thanks for having me. You're welcome. All right. Uh, and now we have uh, just now, if I'm pronouncing right, right, uh, right. with uh, Space Sands, correct? Correct. Nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you. Nice to meet you, Guillaume. Uh, Very glad that we have a, a lady on the show as well. Sounds <laughs> that uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of men. It's good to have also a woman. So I'm very happy to uh, to have you here with us uh, as well. Absolutely. Um, super happy to be here. So maybe I can start with Space Sense. Uh, what we do. So definitely, uh, we are a yeah, we are a climate data company. So what we do, we help organizations, um, private and government organizations to really have access to global quality standard climate information, sustainability data, so that they can implement their sustainability goals, understand how their current state is, and also be more resilient. And it seems like we all, all these organizations always seem to have a ton of data all the time, but when it comes down to actually answering sustainability questions or looking at climate risk, there is never enough data very specific to the, any specific problem. So to give you an example, today, a uh, majority of our work is in agriculture supply chains. And the biggest question these organizations face, whether it's uh, government or PepsiCo size companies is, we have hundreds and thousands of suppliers where how is the food produced by each one of them how have they been doing that how does that affect their sustainability goals and how can they support this uh, partners in their supply chain to become more sustainable and at the same time given the climate risk what there is no single solution for all of them every solution is very localized and it's unique to that region that climate challenge to say because you have this specific climate challenge first where, depending on where they are and what they're doing, what is the specific climate change they face? Once they know that, how do they support them? How do they re uh, reduce the risk? How do they help them become more resilient? All of that requires very specific type of information. And to have something that is possible and at the operational scale across the world, that's where we come in. And the biggest secret sauce of how we are able to do it is through our technology in combining machine learning and satellite data. That's our secret sauce in actually enabling that because I think it's, it is, there are uh, definitely many different ways of collecting this information, be it going, sending people locally, asking 
uh, suppliers, putting IoT devices, sending drones. The challenge with all of them is if you don't have standardized global levels, global scale information, you cannot put the full picture together. And if you can't do that, you cannot provide reliable solutions. So that's what we do. Um, today, uh, I think we, we are a four-year-old company. We started in agriculture. And uh, with CleanTech, our biggest goal was to uh, understand how to go beyond agriculture because uh, our te technology enables us to provide very unique solutions, um, but it's a one part of a much bigger puzzle. Like it's one piece of a much bigger puzzle. So for us, it made more sense to provide that same piece to more organizations that need similar information, but slightly different insight or slightly different uh, level of granularity or slightly different use case. So that's where we uh, we felt CleanTech Open could help us. Okay. So tell us a bit more, a little bit about the, the, the data sourcing that you have. I mean, how do you... Uh... Uh, pull all of those data from uh, where, I mean, you mentioned like satellite data, uh, other data, how do you ensure the accuracy of, of those data and what are the type of reporting uh, that you uh, you give? Yeah, uh, so the data, uh, we have been trying to be uh, very flexible and that's also a part of our internal data engine that we have built with these satellite data sets. That is, uh, they're both private companies through whom we source it, public companies through whom we source it. And the biggest challenge there is, I mean, there is all of them are their own sensors. The work we do is really putting them together, uh, making it standardized. The insight should always be reliable irrespective of what my source of underlying data is or what my source of underlying satellite information is. So that's the work we do with our algorithms. And um, the kind of reporting we do today for agriculture the two types, one that the ones that support regenerative farming more towards supporting scalable advisory for sustainable agricultural practices. So in that sense, we are helping our part, our company, uh, our partners, our customers, they're all businesses themselves or organizations um, who then work with growers on the field, who then work with insurers and the entire agriculture ecosystem. So these businesses use our uh, data insights. What they get is insight. They get information in terms of regenerative farming saying all the millions of acres of land, how every one individual field is moving, how the needle is moving on each one of them, how do they compare between before, what do they need to change to reduce risk while being sustainable or uh, while being you know, not using too much fertilizer, reducing the fertilizer usage, optimizing water usage. So that's, we get information about plant biomass. We give information about water content in the plants. We give them information on how different the field is within within each field, but then do that globally. Another type uh, is more on, you can call it compliance, but also towards sustainability and ESG goals of larger corporates in terms of supply chain monitoring and verification. So it is to go back 10 years, 20 years and say, for every individual source of your food, and then for all the millions of sources, how have they been over the last 10 years? Now, how says, what is their sustainability score, if you have to put a number to it? And then now they are part of the program to be more sustainable. Are they really following that? because it can never be a 
you know, a zero to one transition. It'll always be a slow transition to be more sustainable. So how is that going, monitoring that? So that supply chain uh, monitoring, reporting, verification for supply chain sustainability are two things we are doing today. Um, what we tried to really do during the last few months with Clean Tech Open is to reuse the same capability outside of agriculture and uh, and make ba basically understand what is our go to market, who is this, uh, who are the other market verticals where this information is uh, equally important, how do they need it, uh, what other challenges are they facing, and how do we help them. So that go-to-market is what we wanted to do. Um, and we progressed quite a bit on environmental services. So whether it's regenerative projects, carbon monitoring projects, uh, but also for large industries, whether look at battery industries, how do they know how their supply chain is? It was not a very different solution for them compared to agriculture. It was a very similar solution. So uh, we are trying to venture into more outside other use cases as well. Okay, that's uh, that's super exciting. Um, maybe one thing in terms of like your business model and uh, your current, I mean, uh, customer base. I mean, you mentioned like uh, mainly focus at this stage still on the uh, agri-tech or agriculture uh, landscape and the industrial and the agri-food business. Um, what uh, what's next? You start to have like some uh, potential other uh, customers outside of that vertical. Uh, and how is the, the business model that uh, you guys are offering now? Uh, so there are two elements of it. So one, uh, reusing what we already have to target outside of agriculture. We have, uh, through Clean, clean Tech uh, Open, we identified two verticals. We are right now testing which one we would go full force on. We are close to finishing some of those pilots in the last few months. We would be going into... Uh, more uh, additional traction starting next starting next quarter so that is our goal in terms of go to market to increase the market penetration in this new market uh, at the same time in agriculture in the last few months we were testing some new possibilities new insights for different reasons for example it is still climate tech it is still more carbon monitoring so Right now, through our pilot programs, uh, R&D projects, they are still R&D projects, unfortunately, to get the quality of information they need. They need. So that will still continue early next year. And by end of next year, we hope to productionize those so that anybody, so the car, entire carbon value chain for verified carbon credits would be much more faster and accessible to many more people. Thank you. Last question on my side, uh... Competition-wise, uh, where do you guys stand and how different are you? Yeah, this is, this is a question I get all the time. And um, it's a very different positioning because I think the market is still very scattered uh, and not somebody is doing some element of it, but not everything. Somebody else is targeting, looking at this in a more verticalized solution, saying I'll do everything in agriculture or somebody's looking at much more technology high level and saying I'll only do this much for with this drones or only with satellite data. So we took a slightly different approach to say, we will try to resolve very specific climate solutions. Um, and our go-to-market has been pivoting a little bit on expanding what our technology uh, internal IP can do and then expanding that as well with stronger focus on we'll go, we'll have better solutions for each vertical 
we won't expand it until you know we have better grip on the vertical we are trying to focus on. So that's been the case. So in terms of that, we do have, if you look at space, we do have a few competition there, but they lack the kind of usability and business readiness in terms of insights they are able to generate compared to us. On the other side, when we compare with other climate companies that only focus on very specific climate data, they really miss out on the kind of information we provide. They, for example, there are many forecasting tools, forecasting data providers. Uh, they focus on very narrow scale of what they can help you with. So it, I would say it's still scattered. So what we provide is still, there are very few people trying to do that. Okay, so how can the community of investors, founders and experts uh, listening to the show can uh, help you? So uh, right now, our for us, what is most important is if you know of an organization or you are part of an organization where you know you are constantly looking at how to be more sustainable or knowing what is your sustainability today or be more climate resilient, please reach out to us. We would love to understand what that data looks like for you. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jost. Uh, your Stana, Stana? Sorry, I'm so, I, I apologize for mispronouncing your name. Can, can you no repeat problem. it for me? Josna. Josna. Voilà. Thank you yes. so much, Josna. Uh, we'll get uh, the, the previous one. Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, all the uh, you know hard work that you do for uh, for making this uh, this world uh, a better world and uh, and in the fight against uh, climate change as well. So thank you so much and congrats on uh, again uh, joining graduating from the from the program. So guys, thank you so much for uh, all of you uh, joining uh, today. I hope uh, it was a very exciting and interesting episode. I learned a ton. Uh, so motivated uh, for me and feeling so much motivation of like seeing all of those uh, brilliant minds like you uh, pushing uh, the ball towards a, a better and cleaner world and uh, building uh, amazing uh, companies that can have a great impact as well. So uh, looking forward to uh, follow you guys in the in the future and, uh, and be in touch. Thank you, Guillaume. You're welcome. Thank you. So Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you for having me. All right, guys, I'm going to stop the recording.